welcome to the Weekly News in Brief podcast. Today is the 10th of December and this week's main stories are Britain celebrated a historic moment on Tuesday as the NHS began administering COVID-19 vaccines to its first patients. Watching footage of 90-year-old Margaret Keenan, the first person in the world to receive the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine outside of clinical trials, the Health Secretary Matt Hancock told Sky News he felt emotional. It has been such a tough year for so many people, and finally we have our way through it, our light at the end of the tunnel, he said. Keenan was one of hundreds of patients to receive the vaccine during the first day of inoculations on Tuesday. The 90-year-old, who turns 91 next week, described receiving the jab as the best early birthday present, as it meant she could see her loved ones after spending much of the year alone. My advice to anyone offered the vaccine is to take it. If I can have it at 90, then you can have it too, she added. The UK has ordered 40 million doses of the jab, two of which are required per person to protect against the virus. The first batch of supplies will provide 800,000 doses, meaning 400,000 people will be vaccinated. The scheme will initially prioritise those most vulnerable to the virus, such as elderly hospital patients and those aged over 80, as well as NHS and care home staff. Jabs will initially be administered at select hospital hubs before the scheme is extended to more than 200 GP surgeries next week. According to Kate Bingham, chair of the Coronavirus Vaccine Task Force, vaccinating the vulnerable is likely to remain a priority until April. Once this phase of the vaccination programme is complete, officials will look at extending the scheme to the wider population. On Wednesday, the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency clarified that those with a history of significant allergic reactions should not have the Pfizer vaccine. The new advice comes after two NHS workers who received the jab on Tuesday suffered an anaphylactoid reaction, an allergic response often causing a skin rash and breathlessness. Both staff members had a history of serious allergies and carry an adrenaline pen in case of a reaction. They have since received treatment and are recovering well. NHS England Medical Director Professor Stephen Powis said such reactions were common with new vaccines and described the decision to temporarily halt vaccinations for severe allergy sufferers as a precautionary measure. Overall, the rollout of the jab is expected to substantially reduce COVID-19 deaths and hospital admissions. However, the government's chief scientific advisor, Sir Patrick Vallance, has called on the public to remain vigilant and continue to comply with pandemic restrictions as the rollout continues. Latest figures from the Office for National Statistics show a quarter of deaths registered in England and Wales at the end of November involve COVID-19, the highest number since mid-May. The Prime Minister travelled to Brussels for last-ditch trade talks with European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen on Wednesday. Addressing MPs ahead of his departure, Boris Johnson warned that the EU was currently insisting on terms which no Prime Minister could accept. According to Johnson, the EU has demanded the automatic right to punish the UK if it does not comply with the bloc's legislation in future. Johnson also claimed that the EU was insisting that the UK should be the only country in the world not to have sovereign control over its fishing waters. The talks on Wednesday night, which included a three-hour dinner meeting attended by Johnson, von der Leyen and the chief negotiators for the two sides, ended without agreement. In a statement after the meeting, a number 10 spokesman said very large gaps remain between the two sides and it is still unclear whether these can be bridged. These gaps include dispute over fishing rights, business competition rules and governance of any deal. Johnson and von der Leyen have agreed that a final decision about the future of the trade talks should be taken by Sunday. The Prime Minister has made clear the UK could be facing a disrupted exit. We'll do our level best, but I would just say to everybody, there are great options ahead for our country on any view, he said on Tuesday. Later today, EU leaders will meet for a summit on the issue and publish their preparations for a no-deal outcome. 
Meanwhile, the government has confirmed it's abandoning its controversial internal markets bill. In a statement on Tuesday, ministers said the legislation which could have disapplied the Northern Ireland Protocol established in the Brexit withdrawal agreement would be dropped following a closed-door deal between the EU and UK representatives. In UK news, UK students are organising the largest wave of university rent strikes in 40 years. The action comes amid growing anger over haphazard lockdowns in student halls, full price rates for empty rooms and the prospect of minimal face-to-face teaching in the coming months. Preparation for rent strikes are already underway on at least 20 campuses nationwide, including those in Sussex, Edinburgh and Cambridge. Laura Hone from Rent Strike Cambridge said institutions were continuing to prioritise profit even in the midst of a pandemic. The education system should prioritise the welfare of students and staff, but universities are not going to come to this conclusion on their own, she said. We have to make them listen, and rent is the most powerful leverage we have. Hashem Abedi, brother of the Manchester Arena suicide bomber Salman Abedi, has admitted his involvement in the terror attack for the first time. 23-year-old Abedi was jailed in August after being found guilty of 22 counts of murder, attempted murder, and plotting to cause an explosion likely to endanger life. He pleaded not guilty and denied any involvement in planning the 2017 attack during the trial. However, on Monday, a public inquiry into the atrocity heard that Abedi had since admitted to playing a full and knowing part in the bombing. Paul Greeny, QC, counsel to the inquiry, said Abedi had made the admission to members of the inquiry's legal team during an interview in prison in October. The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge began a tour of Britain on Sunday to thank individuals and organisations for their work during the coronavirus pandemic. Prince William and Kate embarked on the trip using the Royal Train, travelling 1,250 miles across Scotland, England and Wales to meet frontline workers, care home staff, teachers and volunteers. However, the tour received a lukewarm welcome from politicians in Scotland and Wales. When asked about the Duke and Duchess's visit to Edinburgh on Monday, First Minister Nicola Sturgeon suggested the trip went ahead despite the Royal Household being made aware of restrictions forbidding travel between England and Scotland without a reasonable excuse. Meanwhile, in Wales, Welsh Minister Vaughan Gething said he'd rather that no one was having unnecessary visits and insisted the trip should not be used as an excuse for others to break the rules. Roald Dahl's family has issued an apology for anti-Semitic comments made by the author three decades after his death. A statement condemning Dahl's controversial remarks was published on the official website on Sunday. In it, the Roald Dahl Story Company and the author's family said they deeply apologised for the lasting and understandable hurt caused. In a 1983 interview, Dahl claimed there was a trait in the Jewish character that provokes animosity. Writing in The Independent just months before his death in 1990, the best-selling author also acknowledged that he had become anti-Semitic but refused to apologise for his stance. The campaign against anti-Semitism said it was disappointing that the family had waited 30 years to make an apology. The Metropolitan Police is facing action by four bereaved families after it emerged police spies had adopted the identities of dead children without consulting their relatives. The tactic of taking dead children's identities was used by officers working in two undercover policing units for 40 years from the late 1960s. A tradecraft manual for one of the units said officers should leaf through death registers to select a name. According to the manual, they would then assume squatters' rights over the unfortunate's identity for the next four years. Lisa Crossland, whose late husband's son, Kevin Crossland, had his name adopted by an officer, said she felt enormous anger over its use. Kevin was five when he died in a plane crash in 1966. My husband is not here to fight for the truth, but on behalf of him and my family, I want to get to the bottom of the way Kevin's identity was used, she said. 
Lawyers representing the bereaved families have condemned the use of the children's names as an abhorrent practice that had forever tarnished their clients' memories of their loved ones. The Met has confirmed it is investigating the claims. Mike Ashley's Fraser's Group has confirmed it has entered negotiations to buy Debenhams after the department store chain fell into administration last Tuesday. In a stock market statement on Monday, Fraser's Group said it was in talks over a potential rescue transaction for Debenhams. However, it cautioned over barriers to the deal, acknowledging that time is short and the process was further complicated by the recent collapse of Arcadia Group, Debenhams' biggest concession holder. Ashley has long expressed interest in the department store. He was at one time Debenhams' biggest shareholder, but his stake was wiped out last year when the chain's lenders took control of the business. A German prosecutor has said he is very confident in the case against Christian B in the investigation into the disappearance of Madeleine McCann. The British three-year-old went missing while on holiday with her parents in Portugal in 2007. A 43-year-old man, identified only as Christian B under German privacy laws, was named as the prime suspect in the McCann case in June. Currently jailed on drug and sex offences, Christian B has been convicted of raping a 72-year-old American woman at the same Praia de Luth resort where McCann's family were holidaying when she disappeared. Speaking to the BBC on Tuesday, prosecutor Hans Christian Walters said his team did not yet have enough evidence to charge Christian B. However, he remained confident in the case against him. If you knew the evidence we had, you would come to the same conclusion, Walters said, adding, I can't give you details because we don't want the accused to know what we have on him. According to Walters, prosecutors could bring charges early next year. Presenter Kay Burley is facing an internal inquiry at Sky News after she was found to have breached COVID-19 restrictions while celebrating her 60th birthday. According to reports, Burley visited the Century Club in central London with several of her Sky colleagues before moving on to a restaurant. A group of four eventually returned to Burley's home to continue the celebrations. Under Tier 2 restrictions currently in place in London, you can only meet people from a different household outside. Sky has expressed its disappointment over the breach and said all employees involved were now facing a review of their conduct. Burley has apologised but will remain off-air while the review is carried out. British businesses have warned that a global shipping crisis could push up the prices of imported goods. The crisis, which follows disruption to global shipping schedules during the early stages of the coronavirus pandemic, has caused freight costs to soar. The rise in shipping costs comes on top of severe delays triggered by congestion at ports in Felixstowe and Southampton, prompting some firms to warn that the disruption could eventually be passed on to consumers through a hike in import prices. The increase in freight is either creating more expensive prices for the consumer or unsustainability for businesses that will be forced to close where the onward price cannot be increased, one freight firm said. The 19-year-old who threw a child from a viewing platform at the Tate Modern has had an appeal against his sentence dismissed. John T. Bravery was convicted of attempted murder and handed a life sentence with a minimum of 15 years following the attack at the London Gallery. His victim, a French six-year-old, was left with life-changing injuries after falling 100 feet. At an appeal hearing on Wednesday, judges described Bravery's crime as one of exceptional callousness and concluded that the teenager's sentence was not manifestly excessive. Lawyers representing Bravery, who is severely autistic, have also dropped an appeal seeking to have him moved from prison to hospital. The British Museum has published details of the discoveries registered with its portable antiquity scheme. While most were made by metal-detecting enthusiasts, one of this year's biggest finds was uncovered by a family sprucing up their garden in the New Forest. 
British Museum treasure registrar Ian Richardson said the family was turning up soil when all of a sudden these coins popped out of the ground. The coins are thought to have been hidden in about 1540. With a value of £24, equivalent to £14,000 today, they are believed to have belonged to someone considerably well off. Richardson said this year's unexpected discoveries were likely to be the result of Brits spending more time in their gardens over lockdown. The government's plan to house asylum seekers in temporary buildings next to a small Hampshire village has been slammed by local leaders. Ministers have proposed building cabin-style accommodation on former Ministry of Defence land near Barton Stacey in Hampshire. However, the Conservative leader of Tess Valley Council, Phil North, has condemned the planned site as akin to an open prison with no substantial facilities in the vicinity. There are few places I would consider less appropriate for a facility of this nature, he said. North has been joined in his criticism by former Immigration Minister and MP for Romsey and Southampton North, Caroline Noakes. The pair have launched a petition against the proposed site. In environment news, Chris Stark, Chief Executive of the Climate Change Committee, has spoken out about new analysis indicating that the UK's path to net zero emissions is both ambitious and affordable. The CCC, which advises the government on its climate policy, has set out a detailed roadmap for ending the country's use of fossil fuels. The plans call for half of cars on the road to be electric by 2030 and for the phasing out of gas boilers, as well as moving the entirety of UK energy to renewable or nuclear sources by 2035. According to the committee, plans for reaching net zero are now realistic and come at a reasonable price of around 0.5% of annual GDP over the next 30 years. This includes the transition to electric vehicles, which is now deemed to be cheaper than continuing with petrol and diesel cars. It's now clear that, at worst, we've got a very small cost overall in order to unlock those very big benefits of tackling climate change, Stark said. Coca-Cola, PepsiCo and Nestle have been named the world's worst plastic polluters for a third year in a row. The rankings put together in an annual audit by Break Free from Plastic have revealed Coca-Cola to be the worst offender by a considerable margin, with beverage bottles from the brand the most frequently littered plastic item found on beaches, rivers, parks and other sites in 51 of 55 nations surveyed. After topping the audit for three consecutive years, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo and Nestle have been accused of making zero progress on tackling the pollution. They claim to be working hard to solve plastic pollution, but instead they are continuing to pump out harmful single-use plastic packaging, break-free from plastic said. In sports news, Rugby World Cup winner Steve Thompson is to begin legal action against the game's governing bodies after being diagnosed with early-onset dementia. Thompson has been joined by seven other former players suffering similar illness who claim repeated blows to the head during games have left them with permanent brain damage. Now 42, Thompson said he could not remember playing in any of the games that led to England's World Cup win in 2003. The players are expected to send their case to the governing bodies for English, Welsh and international rugby next week. The claim, which amounts to millions of pounds in damages, is the first legal challenge of its kind and could lead to group class action. Cabinet Minister George Eustace has refused to condemn Millwall fans who booed players kneeling in support of the Black Lives Matter movement on Saturday. The incident occurred ahead of Millwall's match against Derby on Saturday. Some 2,000 fans had returned to Millwall's home ground for the first time this season and were heard booing loudly as footballers took a knee before the kick-off. Speaking on Sky News' Sophie Ridge on Sunday, 
The Environment Secretary said he believed supporting Black Lives Matter was different to standing up for racial equality. My personal view is that Black Lives Matter, capital B, L and M, is actually a political movement, he said. Others have been quick to condemn the fans. Millwall said it was dismayed and saddened by the incident and insisted the club remained committed to leading anti-discrimination efforts in the sport. However, in a later match against Queen's Park Rangers this week, Millwall players remained standing while their opponents and match officials took a knee. Elsewhere in the world... Donald Trump's lawyer has insisted he is recovering quickly after contracting COVID-19. The US president confirmed Rudy Giuliani had tested positive for the virus in a tweet on Sunday afternoon and wished the lawyer a quick recovery. The 76-year-old is one of at least 40 people within the president's circle to have tested positive for the virus since September. Giuliani, who is leading Trump's efforts to challenge the November election results, met with legislators in Georgia on Thursday. Senator Jen Jordan, who attended the legislative session, said the lawyer had been maskless in a packed hearing room for seven hours. To say I am livid would be too kind, she added. Meanwhile, US President-elect Joe Biden has pledged to provide 100 million vaccinations against COVID-19 during his first 100 days in office. Introducing his newly appointed health team on Wednesday, Biden said he could not end the pandemic in his first 100 days, but vowed to get at least 100 million COVID vaccine shots into the arms of the American people. The vaccine, developed by Pfizer-BioNTech, is expected to be approved by the US Food and Drug Administration within days, with mass vaccination potentially starting as soon as next week. Elsewhere, the People's Vaccine Alliance has warned that stockpiling by richer countries could leave poorer countries without vaccine supplies. According to research by the Alliance, rich countries have bought up 96% of Pfizer doses, as well as 100% of Moderna's vaccine supplies. More than 450 people have been hospitalised in the Indian state of Andhra Pradesh after coming down with a mystery illness. One official said more than 450 people in the town of Ellaru had been taken to hospital after falling ill over the weekend. Some patients collapsed or experienced seizures and nausea, while one man admitted to hospital with such symptoms died after suffering a heart attack. Most have already been discharged. Specialists from the All India Institute of Medical Sciences have travelled to the state to investigate the unidentified outbreak. COVID-19 has been ruled out as the cause after testing came back negative, with doctors now considering possible heavy metal poisoning. An inquiry into the Christchurch massacre said a series of failings had occurred ahead of the 2019 terror attack. The inquiry into the shooting, which saw white supremacist Brenton Tarrant kill 51 people at two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand last year, found he had been able to accumulate large stocks of weapons due to poor firearms enforcement. It also found security agencies had almost exclusively focused on the threat posed by Islamist terror rather than the far right. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has apologised for the failings but said the inquiry had found no evidence that addressing these issues would have stopped the attack. She has accepted all 44 recommendations made by the Commission. And in lighter news, police in Edinburgh received several alarmed phone calls on Friday after a rare thundersnow event spooked locals. The unusual phenomenon happens when thunder and lightning occur at the same time as a heavy snowstorm, sometimes causing loud claps that can be mistaken for explosions. One Edinburgh resident described the thundersnow as sounding like a sonic boom, while another said the weather event had shaken their house and set off car alarms. The author behind Bridget Jones's diary has finally put to rest rumours that the character Mr Darcy is based on Sir Keir Starmer. 
It has long been speculated that the leader of the opposition was the inspiration for Helen Fielding's Mark Darcy, a human rights lawyer who fights for the affection of Bridget Jones. At the time of the book's publication in 1996, Starmer was also working as a high-profile human rights lawyer in London. However, in an interview with the Radio Times this week, Fielding made clear Darcy was not based on the Labour leader, admitting she had never met him. They are very similar though, Fielding added. He's so good and decent and intelligent, but so buttoned up. Mount Everest has grown by almost a metre, according to new calculations from Nepal and China. Until this week, the two countries had disagreed over whether the height of the world's tallest mountain should include the snow cap on top. Now surveyors from both countries have coordinated to agree on a new official height of 8,848.86 metres, an increase of 86 centimetres on Nepal's figure, but more than four metres higher than China's previous calculation. And finally, Google has revealed its most searched terms of 2020. Unsurprisingly, coronavirus was the search engine's most frequently queried term, while the US election ranked second in UK searches. Among how-to questions, how to make a face mask, top Britain's searches this year, followed by how to make bread and how to cut your own hair, after people were left to their own devices during lockdown. (laughs) 